1 Corinthians 15 and verse 57. So thankful for those who work with the children. Um, we're working on building our group of teachers. Uh, it's not very often that my wife gets to sit in and hear me preach. So I'll get lots of feedback later on how I did. I'm just teasing. Um, but anyway, so thankful for those who help with the kiddos. First Corinthians 15 and verse number 57. This is where we will start. It says in verse 57, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the verse right here up on the screen. We'll look at it one more time together. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a verse. What a promise. And let's see what God has for us today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. Thank you for each person who's here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would teach us about prayer. I pray that you would help us to employ this truth in our life. Oftentimes we know about prayer, we hear about prayer, but we don't do it. And we don't live in victory because of it. Please help me as I preach. Help those who are listening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I saw an article recently. Christian Coleman is the reigning world champion in the men's 100 meters. From time to time, strangers approach the 26-year-old Atlanta native with a proposition. He said... People will come up to him and recognize him when he's walking through the mall and say, hey, you want to race? And he tells them, no, he's walking through the shopping mall. I'm not going to race here. It's a remarkably common occurrence. Top sprinters, Olympic sprinters say against all odds. Overconfident, average citizens size up the singularly skilled and sculpted specimens and think they have a chance to win. The urge appears to be universal, spanning national boundaries and identities. Karsten Warholm, the 26-year-old world record holder in the 400-meter hurdles, works out at an indoor public, faci public facility in Oslo in his native Norway. Mr. Warholm recalled a training session when a man not dressed in running clothes asked him to race. Mr. Warholm said, sure. He was going to do another run anyway. Of course, he was there to train. He says, obviously, I smoked him, right? Beat him badly. At the finish line, the man insisted he had a bad start. 
He wanted to race again. Isn't it like that sometimes? Look, we see a verse like this. And it says, thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we think, I know Jesus. I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. But sometimes victory in our life can seem so elusive. We go up to our problem like those people are going up to these world-class athletes and saying, you want to race? I've got the victory through Jesus. But that sometimes it seems that life just has a way of getting the victory. It Sometimes it feels like it beats us every time. For some people, they snap back at their spouse, causing the relationship to go whole, cold or to a friend. You instantly react online to a post and regret. It's one thing if you snap back online and then you never see the person, but then when you actually see the person the next day, it's like, oh. Other people, problems are a bit more serious. Habitual sins, such as being negative. We know that's a sin. Being negative all the time. Gossip. Thought life is always lustful. Someone who is constantly angry. This is their struggle. Someone who's constantly living in fear and anxiety. Anxiety can be a sin if we allow that to have dominance in our life. Someone who just can't submit to a proper authority in their life. You can't seem to read the Bible faithfully or come to church faithfully. Or Then there's those who have substance addiction. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Things that we can struggle against. We've been in a series, Seven Steps to Gaining Victory Over Temptation. The one we're going to look at today is the letter C, cry out to God. How can we access this victory that is promised to us? If we take our Bibles, and we're going to look at Exodus 14 in just one moment, but before we go there, let's look at Romans chapter number 10. We cannot have victory that God promises us if we first do not realize that we need Jesus to save us from our sin. Oftentimes, the thing that beats people up is the very thing that God is trying to use to bring that person to himself. I can't get victory over this or this or this. It's causing pain in my relationships. It's causing pain in my own heart and in my own conscience. I walk around in guilt. I walk around in shame. Sometimes I walk around with this this hard heart towards God. Other times I'm incredibly sensitive. Sometimes at night that person can't sleep because of the guilt and the frustration. Sometimes people even go so far as because they can't get victory over something, they even slide towards suicidal thoughts. Some people even go to self-harm. They cut themselves where people can't see it. 
And they read a verse like 1 Corinthians 15, 57, and they say, where is the victory? Where is the victory? They chase things that are that, that it seems as if these things are promised. If you get this, you will be happy. Not just happy on the outside, but you will be full on the inside. You get that thing. You get that promotion. You get that money. You get that house. You get that car. You get that status. You finally get the blue check on Instagram. Which doesn't happen to very many people. So many people want to be a famous YouTuber. But somehow inside we feel empty. Oftentimes, guys, it is our failures that God uses first to bring us to himself. We need to reach outside of ourselves and reach out to God. And we see this, first of all, in Romans 10 and verse number. It says in verse number three, speaking of Israel, of the nation of Israel, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Christ died on the cross for our sin. And we are accountable to God for our actions. Every thought, every deed, every word. Satan was thrust out of heaven because of something that he thought in his heart. Jesus says, even to the point where if we are angry, at someone without a cause. If we are unwilling to forgive someone, we haven't done anything to them. We haven't physically hurt them. You see, God doesn't look as we look. God looks on the heart. And we are accountable to God for our heart. And that's why Jesus came. So many people try to establish their own righteousness before God. They say, I know I'm accountable, but I've done this, but I've done that. I was baptized one time, or I went to confirmation, or I'm a good person, or I try to be a good parent, or I try to do this, and I try to do that. And that's really what he's saying here, that the nation of Israel in their religion, that's what they were doing. They were saying, well, God, we're good because this, 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 this. But the Bible teaches us, and I'll read you this verse. The Bible teaches us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The victory comes through a gift. The victory comes through a gift. The victory of salvation comes through a gift. We are accountable before God, but Christ died for our sin. He was our substitute. Meaning, he said, I will stand accountable to God for the things that you have done. And that's what what happened on the cross. He stood accountable to God on our behalf. 
And so if we say, Jesus, I'm trusting in you that what you did on the cross for me is completely sufficient. It 100% makes me clear of standing before God one day. I'm trusting in that what you did for me on that day completely cleanses away all of my guilt and all of my shame. If we're willing to accept that with our whole heart, at that moment, we are saved. The Bible calls it being saved, salvation, being redeemed, getting saved, being born again. Becoming a Christian is something that people would say nowadays, accepting Jesus into your heart, accepting Jesus into your life. All of these things are meaning the same thing. Coming to him for forgiveness, not for sin I've done today, but going to that moment on the cross where he died on that day for all of the sin that I have ever committed or will commit. And if we recognize I can't save myself, I'm trusting in what Jesus did. By the way, he, he's given us proof. It, it, it'd be one thing if somebody says, hey, I'll, you wanna, I'll write you a blank check. You can, whatever you want to spend this year, you can. And it's like, well, who are you? Well, I mean, if it was Mark Zuckerberg, I'd take the check. Right? We know he's got the bank account. Right? If, if I did that, you better calm down. That doesn't mean as much. Right? So when Jesus comes up to us and he says, if you trust in me, I will take you to heaven and I will forgive you of all of our sin. It's like, well, who is he? Well, he's God's son. And by the way, he rose from the dead to prove that if we trust in him, then he will also raise us up. Amen. What other God or goddess has done that? Name one religion that has given their followers that proof. There's not, there is not one. There is one name under heaven given among men, meaning given among people, whereby we must be saved. He's the only one that's given us that proof. He's not the only one that's given us that message, but he's the only one that's given us that proof. Amen. I remember running into a, a girl, a uh, young lady, she was probably 16 or so, 17 here in this building during the summertime. And she was talking about how she grew up in church a little bit, but you know, when, when, when I choose my religion, I'm going to choose, you know, this and that. And she had all these rules and I just thought, and I should have said it, but it didn't occur to me at the time. But later, you know how that happens. Sometimes people say things to you and you're just kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I knew what to say, but the words weren't coming at the moment. And then later I thought, you know what? I'm not going to look for some beliefs that seem to really make me feel like they're right and good. I kind of want something that has proof to it. When Christianity gets hard and it's difficult and it's, it's, it's frustrating and, and, and challenging and I don't seem to have the victory, we still have proof, friends. On your darkest day, allow the, allow the Lord to remind you in your heart, he rose from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, he can help you with whatever you're going through. He can help you with whatever temptation you're dealing with. He can help you with whatever fault or failure you've had. He defeated it at the cross. But if you've never come to that place where you're, Jesus, it's not what I've done. It's only what you have done. 
then the rest of this message, guys, honestly, it's not quite for you just yet. Because when we talk about crying out to God, the first cry that we need to have is the cry for salvation. It says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart. You see, there's the heart again. God's not just trying to get us to say some fancy religious words with our mouth. It has to be belief from our heart. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There's this uh, Christmas movie. Don't you love Christmas movies? If you don't love Christmas movies, you might not be saved. That's not true. There's this Christmas movie called Polar Express. You guys know this movie? It's one of my favorites. Polar Express, about the train. It's amazing. So it's all about this, if you haven't heard it, if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, right? It's about this little boy who, he's not quite sure if he believes in Santa Claus, right? And so there's this train that comes by his house late at night. And he gets on this train, and the train takes him to the North Pole. And then there's this moment when Santa Claus comes out, and this is kind of the, the thing of the whole movie, it's trying to get him to believe. I don't believe in Santa Claus, and I don't teach my kids to believe in Santa Claus. It's just a thing, right? It's just a movie. So anybody that's, <laughs> calm down, right? But there's this point where there's, there's these, these bells on the reindeer, and everybody can hear these bells jingling except for him. And the bells are jingling, and everybody's so excited. But he, can't, he doesn't hear it. And he's seeing it, but he can't hear it. And finally, there's this bell that pops off and comes toward him. And he holds it up. And he puts it next to his ear. And he's doing like this, and he, but he can't hear it. Nothing's working. But it's obvious that everybody else can hear it. And then if you've seen the movie, he says two words. I believe. I believe. And then he goes, ding, right? And then he could finally hear it. What made the difference in that movie, in that particular moment? It was faith. Now, I'm not suggesting you believe in Santa Claus. I am trying to suggest here and what scripture is trying to teach us from these verses. There's a lot of people that say a lot of things about God with their mouth, but nothing is in their heart. They know about Jesus in their head, but they've never trusted him in their heart. They know the, 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 the guilt that they feel from sin. And they think about the lies that they've told, the infidelity they've committed, the things they've watched in the computer screen, the things they would be ashamed of that if somebody found out about their bank account or their, their computer history or whatever it is, And they think, but I've been baptized. But yet somehow, the peace is not there. But I've been confirmed, and yet the peace is not there. It's got to be in our heart. The faith has got to be in our heart. And that's why the scripture says, 
Yes, you have to confess with your mouth, but you have to believe in your heart. And that's the difference for many people is they hear it, but they don't believe it. They don't really count on it. Now let's look at an awesome, amazing story. One of my favorites, Exodus chapter number 14. This is the story. And we're talking about crying out to God. Victory over temptation. You have to, you have to cry out to God for salvation first. You have to ask God to save you first. But once you belong to him, why don't we just naturally have this? Why can't we just steamroll through life like we're on the winning team and nothing bad's ever going to happen and any kind of problem, we're just going to crush it, right? Why, why doesn't it just naturally? I mean, I thought I'm saved. I thought Jesus rose from the dead. And some people try to preach this kind of like if you believe in Jesus and if you have enough faith and everything just falls into place and you're rolling through life and you're driving this super awesome car and everybody's like, oh, man, I bet God blessed you. Whoa. Hashtag blessed, you know, and all that kind of bit. Huh? Is that kind of stuff out there or not? Oh, it's absolutely out there. Books. Smiling people with beautiful teeth, they always have pretty teeth. Right? Believe in God and you'll be super awesome like me. Why doesn't it just happen? Because that would be sight and not faith. After we've trusted Christ as our Savior, just like the children of Israel, he delivers them from where? Where does he deliver them from? What country? Egypt. Does anybody know how long they were there before they get out? Say it. 430 years. Imagine how old is Canada as far as it being like an actual country country? 150 plus, 153, 155, something like that. 400 years they've been this way. They've been slaves. Right? No choices. Forced, beaten if they don't do, right? Is that true or not? That's true. That's what scripture teaches us, okay? So here comes Moses. We're not gonna go through every detail. Here comes Moses up to the king. The king's name is called Pharaoh, or that's his position, Pharaoh. Goes up to Pharaoh, let my people go. Does he let them go? No. It takes 10 plagues, 10 incredible, miraculous plagues for Pharaoh to finally be humbled enough to say, okay, there is a God in heaven. He is bigger than me. And I'm going to let your people go because that's what God, God has put me in this position. Now, right before he lets the people go, they have something called the Passover, which Jewish people to this day celebrate the Passover. And that goes back to this story. And the Passover was a time when the death angel would visit every home and kill the oldest son. Now to us in our modern age, this seems like, what? That seems awful. Don't forget that this is the Pharaoh that was killing all of the males, all of the baby boys. And that's why Moses escaped because his parents hid him away in the river. Don't you remember that? Okay. Listen, there is a God in heaven that is keeping count. 
He does see the evil things that happen in this world. And he does come back to visit some of these things. And, by, by, and if I can say this very delicately, many of the so, social justice issues that are happening today, they are legitimate because of past uh, choices from hundreds of years ago and some of them not so long ago and people have made wrong and evil choices and God has kept count for centuries on what nations and choices have been made and some of the unrest and some of the things that are happening God is allowing these things to be revisited on people who have been oppressive he does keep count he absolutely keeps count but notice he listen He gave Pharaoh 10 chances to humble himself and do the right thing. And actually more than 10, but there were 10 plagues. How many chances did that Pharaoh give those small baby boys? None. You see how merciful God is? There is, listen, that's why scriptures teaches there is mercy And there's judgment with our God. He is a merciful and righteous judge. But the day came. And the day will come. And the day came. And so they took and they killed the baby lamb and they put the blood over the post of their door. And the death angel passed over the houses that had the blood. That's a picture of the future Sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That if we accept Christ as our Savior, the blood spiritually is on our account. And so then the judgment of God passes over us because we've trusted in Jesus Christ. Without the blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Isn't that what it says? That's what it says. But notice, listen guys, after the blood, they leave Egypt. But Pharaoh, even though he's beaten down, He's not completely just going to let them go. And we pick up our story in Exodus 14, and we won't be super, super long. We won't draw this out uh, excessively here. We'll just look at, look at a few verses. But look at Exodus 14 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Piharoth between Migdol and the sea over against Baalspion before it shall ye encamp by the sea. Now notice in verse three, for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord and they did so. Notice in verse number three, it says, that Pharaoh will say that they're entangled and the wilderness has shut them in. So he's bringing them right up to the point of the Red Sea and Pharaoh, the bad guy, is saying, I've got them. They think think that they've escaped, but now they've got nowhere to go. And God's, God's the one that led them in that way. Guys, the point I'm trying to make is this. God has a plan for the thing in your life that you think is beating you. Notice that when they escaped from slavery because of the blood, amen, Pharaoh did not admit his defeat. He continued to chase them. Do not be surprised 
When God shows you to take a good step and God says, God says, take that step, take that next step, be faithful to church and read your Bible and pray and walk by faith and do the right thing and be a good parent and make that right choice. Don't be surprised that you take a step and then another step and then about three days later, wham, whoa, why is this so hard? Why is this happening? Listen, guys, did, did we not just give a moment before for all the blessings? God's been so good to me. God's been good. We got a house, praise the Lord. And, and, so, and, 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 and we got this and we got that. And God's blessed and, and good. And, and we're walking by faith. Pharaoh is not going to let you go for free. As soon as God gives you the victory, did they get victory or not? Yeah, they got victory, man. They're out. They're free. They think in their minds, they're finally free. Don't be shocked. When it gets tough. It happens every time. Jesus gets baptized. Not because he needed to wash away sin, because that's not the purpose for baptism. Right? It It was to show the righteousness so that we can follow after him. Jesus gets baptized, starts his earthly ministry. And where, where does he go? He goes out into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan for how long? 40 days. So here's Jesus about to start his earthly ministry and he's taking good steps. And then all of a sudden, boom, here comes the temptation. We need to cry out to God because when we take steps, all of a sudden here comes trouble. Some of you are taking steps. Don't lose me. Give me about 10 minutes. This is why we came today. I'm not going to prolong this anything that's necessary. But we need, we need to realize that part of the reason we don't have the victory is because we think that if we start doing the right thing one time, then all of a sudden it's always going to be okay. Satan will fight every step you try to take. We have got to expect that. We have got to expect it. We're going to make a decision for our kids. Satan's going to fight that. I want to use my house for, for God. Satan's going to fight that. I'm, I'm going to try to grow. Satan's going to fight that. Oh, pastor, I'm going to wake up early and read my Bible before my day starts. Satan's going to fight that. Oh, yes, he will. Am I telling the truth right now or not? Yes. It's the truth, guys. Sometimes we don't have the victory that Jesus purchased us from the cross because when we take that first step, here comes Satan. We just think, I try to take, we think taking the step is, is the victory. It's not. You're taking a step into a battle, friend. Is that true or not? We're taking a step into the battle. We, hey, we shouldn't be surprised when we do outreach and people come and they don't stay. We want them to stay. We pray for them to stay. We're nice to them, friends. We're not even mean. We're nice people. Look at us. We're awesome. But we've got to understand that when we as a church take a step, there's a battle there. You you take this truth home. Cry out to God. You say, I'm going to do that, man. I'm going to do that. 
I'm going, I'm just going to, I'm going to pray and I'm going to cry out and I'm not just going to uh, whisper a prayer in, in evening and whisper a prayer. I'm going to cry out to God, man. I'm just going to cry out to God. Guess what? Satan's not interested in you crying out to God. And as soon as you start taking that righteous step, he is going to come up to you and he is going to try to get you to fail and to go back. He, listen, he does not want you thinking. He does not, Satan does not want you to think of yourself as being redeemed and saved and on your way to the promised land. He wants you to always think of yourself as being a slave. I can't get victory over that. I've always done that. Well, that's my background. And that's what, that's just, you don't understand my, the Holy Ghost is bigger than your personality. Is that true or not? Your God is bigger than your personality. Your God is bigger than whatever the doctor said. You're, you're, hey, God is bigger than what the therapist told you. Is that true or not? So if we're not careful, we will think of this as suggestive and whatever the therapist says as the absolute truth. Well, they're scientists, they know. First of all, they do know some things. Second of all, it's a soft science. Number three, how about we believe the person who invented science? That's the God of heaven. He's bigger than science. Amen. I like it. Verse five, it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we have led Israel both from serving us, right? So here comes Pharaoh. He's all fired up. He makes ready his chariot. Verse number six, verse seven, he takes 600 chosen chariots. Now this is modern warfare, right? I mean, this is like high level nuclear subs and, and, and helicopters and big airplanes and bombs and machine guns and drones. I mean, that's kind of what this is back then. Exactly what this is, right? To a bunch of people that are, they were slaves for 400 years. They don't even have weapons, guys. And here comes all of these, this modern warfare, this modern army coming after them. Verse eight, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued after the children of Israel and the children of Israel went out with a high hand. Verse 10, when the Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were, oh my goodness, they were so afraid. They were so afraid. But notice the rest of the verse. And this is really the message. They were so afraid and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Don't miss this point. Don't let fear stop you from crying out to the Lord. Sometimes we think that if I had faith, I wouldn't be fearful. No, no. Faith and fear are twins almost. They're always together. They're always buddies. They're always right next to each other. Every time. They're always right next to each other. And oftentimes when that temptation comes after us or that challenge comes after us or we're starting to take that step for the Lord, we're trying to march forward. All of a sudden now it's just like, oh no, what if? Oh no, here they come. Oh no, it's happening again. 
And here's the problem is as soon as that temptation marches forward towards you, it seems so resolute and so strong and so modern and there's nothing you can do to defeat it. You have fear and you just, you're done. You give in, you give up, you're done. You just can't, it's gonna happen again and they're gonna come and they're gonna kill us. It's, It's over. Why did they even try this in the first place? Why did they even try to be a good Christian? Why did they even try to have faith? Why did they even try to go to church? Why did they even try to read the Bible? This always happens. Why did he even try to witness? I always feel like such a fool when I witness and they always say something to me and I always feel so ashamed and so foolish. Why do we even try to be generous with my money the way God wants me to be? Why do we even try to do the right thing? And fear comes in and grabs us by the throat. And when you feel that fear, that needs to be a trigger in your mind to cry out to God. Let, take this away, take this out, put this in your pocket. Let the fear be the trigger so that you cry out to God. Whenever you feel that fear, God, you gotta help me. That fear is not speaking the truth to you. We take whatever the fear is as saying that's the truth. That's not the truth. God has got a plan. God knows exactly what, that, what, 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 what he plans to do. We can go to another 14, which is Matthew 14. There's an awesome story. For sake of time, we won't go there. Of Peter walking on the water. But what happens? He gets out. He starts walking on the water to go to Jesus. Starts looking around. He starts to look at the wind in the waves. He turned into a weatherman. Peter, what are you doing? Stop looking at the weather. Keep your eyes on Jesus, friend. Hey, if we're not careful, these devices, there's a lot of looking around going on. Jesus gets lost in the fog out there. We start to sink. Sink in anxiety, sink in depression. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, shall we? Peter starts to sink down. The Bible says he cried out. To Jesus, Lord, save me. Not eloquent. But it was in his heart. It was honest. What did Jesus do? Immediately reached down his hand. Saved him. We don't have time to go through this whole story going through the Red Sea. We know what happens. God gives Moses the plan. Moses goes up to the Red Sea, holds his staff out over the Red Sea. Is that right? Holds his staff out over the Red Sea. By the way, whatever the movies tell you, the movies have got this one wrong. Because scripture says it was windy all night long. It didn't happen like whoosh. It didn't happen like that. He held the staff over. The sun starts going down. They go to bed. Windy, 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 windy. They wake up in the morning. Oh, there's the path through the sea. They get up, they march through the path. Who comes after them? The bad guy, Pharaoh. Pharaoh starts marching after them. Once they clear on the other side, he holds the staff over again. The sea closes up on the enemy. But you can trace that whole victory back to when the nation cried out to God. It's unfortunate that 
from my study, this is the only time that I have found that the whole nation cried out to God. After this, it's always Moses crying out to God. It's only the leader. It's not them. What victory could we have in our life? But we don't. Because we're not crying out to the Lord. We've got a sense of fatalism. Well, it's always going to be this way. I'm never going to grow past this. We're never going to grow past this. It's never going to get better. God says, you need to quit believing the fear. You need to quit believing the strength of the enemy. Start believing in my strength and start, start, start calling out to the Lord. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.